Hello, everyone. Welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. And we are a couple guys with PhDs in theology who like to talk about excellent television storytelling. We are going episode by episode through all four seasons of Rectify. And this episode is Drip, Drip, Drip. Which no, is, I think uh, it was just two drips. Oh, two <laughs> Just a double drip. Drip, drip. It's yeah. the... Also, it's the, uh, yeah. Streaming on Shoot. Netflix, in case you're listening and not watching. All streaming on Netflix. And, and written by the same couple fellers we had on the podcast last week. Last week, who, yeah. Uh, wrote um, the, the episode before this and the episode after this. So really... Yeah fascinating ryan and this... it's, it's not surprising uh a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about if you heard our conversation last week um I've, a lot of the similar themes kind of carrying over this week biblical references uh, kind of rich uh theological spiritual themes let's just start with the obvious one as we see the conflict building between daniel and teddy jr there, there are a few different times in the Bible uh, where there's one son gets a blessing and another son doesn't, and th- this kind of thing in the Old Testament. But obviously, the, the most rich uh, biblical allegory is that of a parable Jesus told of the prodigal son, in which one son stays home and minds the farm, the other son gets his inheritance, goes off, squanders it, comes back home and the father welcomes him with open arms and welcomes him back into the fold, which angers the son who stuck around and did the hard work. Um, You know, in in most understandings of that parable, the father is God who accepts you back no matter what. But obviously it says a lot about human nature. Daniel comes back having been gone for 18 and a half years on death row uh ted senior has married his mother janet in this episode daniel says he he wanders into the and we'll get to the long strange trip with the goat man we'll go back to that but i just wanted to lead off with this biblical allusion to the prodigal son parable because Daniel comes into the tire store, says to Ted Sr., thanks for marrying my mom. You know, and he's kind of like, hey, I, you know, I was the fortunate one in that deal. Plus, we also know he got this tire store, which was um, uh, owned by Daniel's father. So he kind of married into this tire store. Now we got Ted Jr. Uh, Daniel says, I want no, you know, I, I, I don't want to work here. Um, and he leaves, and then Ted Jr. shows up for work, having been gone at a conference, finds evidence that Daniel has been there and taken his lucky charm, the a little bobblehead guy that he rubs every day for good luck, and then um, goes out to pass out flyers and drinks his way through a six-pack as he watches people in the grocery store parking lot throw his flyers on the ground. So his life is kind of a crumpled up mess of nothingness, of no worth, like these crumpled up flyers. But fascinating, this brother against brother, prodigal son kind of theme. Yeah, and it really comes to a head. And, you know, when we think about that, that parable, you know, this, 
episode takes that a little bit further because at the end of the episode, Daniel has Teddy Jr. in a headlock. Yeah. And because, you know, Teddy's uh, expressed what he really feels about Daniel kind of to his face, right? He's threatens him for just kind of any interaction with Tawny. He, again, is kind of, kind of ribbing him, so to speak, with um, his comments about prison rape and that Daniel may have enjoyed it. And, you know, you, you texted me yesterday talking about how Teddy is just kind of a, Teddy Jr. is kind of a classic villain. I don't know that we, we've quite seen that yet. I, I see that he's something of a more complex character. And I think this end through the prodigal son is an interesting way to look at him because he has been dutifully carrying on Daniel's father's business. He has been, by all accounts, a decent, if not good, family member, um, a loving family member. He's got this really complex marriage that we've talked about. We're still not quite sure what's going on there with with Tawny and kind of her kind of being uncomfortable around him, I guess is an easy way to say it. But, you know, you can understand a little bit about Teddy you know, he makes this interesting comment to and to Tawny, and I, I wonder if we can't relate this to a whole a, a whole host of things that we're all going through now. Uh, he says, there are people that I trust who I would trust my children with, you know, who I've known for my whole life, who believe 100% that he's guilty. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, the other side of that is there are people and he, and he basically who, says, and I'm just not willing to disregard their opinions just yeah, that's because an interesting, you, that's just an because you see the right? good in people. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective, right? You can't, and, and it's people who probably are smart people who are familiar with the case. And obviously, on the other side of that, we have people like Amantha. You know, I, it's kind of diff- interesting to see where Janet falls in this whole thing because she's basically been kind of out of it since Daniel's Dude, been back. Dude, I, I think Janet is a cipher in this show hmm. so far. She is hmm. like, you see, yeah, she's a cipher. It's like she's not there. In every scene, She's you see her, but she's not there. She has no force or no yeah. energy that she brings to the scene. And I, look, I agree with you in that uh, I think this show is so well written there is no way that teddy jr is just going to be a traditional one one dimensional black hat villain and i and also i don't know if you caught this when we were talking to graham and michael in the last episode but they made one of them made an allusion to like well in the future you know we see ted jr goes a whole different direction or something like yeah they kind of talk about him being a sneaky intriguing character yeah like yeah. His, I'm quite sure that he he will he will complexify as as he develops. But at this point, he kind of looks like a villain. He's dark, furrowed brow. I mean, he's he seems a little. He's a bit shifty. He's also kind of a typical Southern guy, right? He's a little. I, I, I forgive how this may sound. I mean, he's a little racist. Yeah, he's a little, a little close-minded. He's, yeah. you know, it's just the, the kind of the community world he's grown up in. He hasn't really, he's not widely read. You know, he goes like to Daniel. church, but he goes to church, but probably doesn't. Do you know really why he goes to church? Because that's his, the last place that's what you, that the customers, yeah. you know, it's a it's a social. <laughs> right. He he says right, like 
oh, if you invite him to our church, we're going to lose the last customers we have. You know, when Tony's yeah. talking about Daniel being saved, which which Tony, let's talk about that. Like in a in an episode that is bathed in biblical references, I think we're kind of working ourselves backwards to the goat man, who is one of the favorite uh, sequences so far. But let's talk a little bit about the jubilee at the church and the baptism scene, which I found it made me think a lot about the power of ritual and the value of of participating in religious communities because of ritual, uh, which is something deeply, deeply spiritual. Tony, would you say maybe even at this point in evolution, maybe biological, like our need to mark events, to commemorate events? I see, you know, see so many people struggling with that now during a pandemic, being robbed of these opportunities, whether it's high school or college graduation, you know, marriages or what have you. Um, I think this pandemic is kind of exposing our need for those things, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing my second cousin's wedding this summer, and she had to move it from a venue on the top of a ski hill where we all took the gondola up. And now it's going to be a little backyard ceremony with about 10 people, you know, or, or, um, people, you know, funeral, every obituary in the newspaper says, you know, a, a gathering will take place at a future date when it's safe for us to gather. But when's that, are you going to have, are you really going to have a funeral two years from now when a vaccine is finally developed or four years from now, like when are you actually going to have that funeral and you're going to gather for somebody who's died four years prior Mm, and and memorialize them. I don't see that happening, but there is something about that scene, right? I mean, the first thing it reminded me of was, Oh brother, where art thou? I I knew you were going there. The bluegrass music. yeah, the bluegrass music and the kind of otherworldly, like, is this real? The camera so I, angles as well? The, like this. Not just the angles, but the lighting. It, it's yeah. almost, a, you know, it's shot to seem like a heavenly, otherworldly scene, which I think the Coen brothers do the same thing in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? at a couple different points toward the end of the film when there's like this grudging reconciliation between the Odysseus character and his wife uh, there's something similar here and you know everyone's I, I did immediately think like they wouldn't be playing music during the baptisms yeah yeah tony i was like it's sometimes you, you sometimes think about why well, who consulted on this because right no baptism ever looks like there's people wandering around you know yeah the baptism a, would be the center of attention while it while it was yeah there's probably a, but, there's somebody's got a cotton candy machine over in the corner um, yeah, yeah, but you know, when we talk about that otherworldly feeling of the whole jubilee, as it's called, you know, this this interesting, just Daniel's perform the performance, Aiden Young's performance as Daniel is remarkable um, in this episode, and his hesitance to get into the baptismal pool, his yeah. his till fear, till he makes eye till he makes eye contact with Tawny. That's right. His fear of you know going under. And then he comes out and it, it is moments later, you know, a few minutes later in the episode, but moments later in the, in the, in the kind of quote unquote real time. And Tawny and Daniel are talking and he asks if, if we as a viewer are questioning the, the reality of this moment, so is Daniel, right? He questions his existence. 
Yeah. He's immediately questioning, questioning the efficacy of baptism, the existence of God, which totally throws Tawny for a loop. Um, and I think it's one of those interesting things. I mean, if anybody had grew up in an evangelical community, I would imagine the majority of people walk the aisle, as we say, more than once, right? Or at least yeah, had Ryan, that I, question, I, that fear. Yeah, th- I, I, I thought about that because you go back to earlier in the episode when uh, Ted Jr. gets home from his trip. Tawny is you know, not super excited to see him. You can tell she's anxious about telling him, but she ultimately does. Daniel wants to get saved. Now, what's interesting, you know, obviously this is a Baptist tradition that's taking place here in which the baptism itself is somehow sacramental, not dissimilar to a Catholic church where the actual saving takes place in the baptismal moment itself. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of us would say from what's considered a more Zwinglian um, tradition like I am, that the baptism is just a symbol of something, an outward symbol symbol of, uh, you know, uh, of an inward spiritual reality. So Daniel would have been saved by what? A confession of faith in his heart, and then he just goes through the ritual of the baptism in order which, to kind of publicly state that change of heart. Yeah, which would which would be more that kind of per, that kind of interior work would likely look more like his conversations with Tawny in previous episodes yeah. than it would this this dunking moment. So he right? comes to out and he says, I'm clean, you know, well, okay. But I, what I'm saying is, so Tawny looks at this moment, this, this event as somehow salvific for Daniel. Like he is going to be washed of everything. She's trying to explain this to Ted Jr. He doesn't buy it. Um, he's like, he, the guy had 18 and a half years in, in on death row to get right with God. He didn't. Yeah. And now suddenly because a cute blonde walks into his life. He's suddenly willing to get right with God. Tawny continues to hold fast to this belief that the baptism itself is going to do something spectacular. He gets out of the water. At first, he's like, I've been washed clean. This is a fresh start. Then, you know, there's a, a another cutaway scene. Then they come back. It's getting dark at the church out on the lawn. And Daniel says, now I think maybe there is a God or, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe there actually is a God. And you, Tawny is just crestfallen because yeah. he's not, he has not been shriven of his doubts. And then he says, can I kiss you? Yeah. You know, it's just like, holy Awkward. crap. So yeah. the baptism did not do what Tawny thought it was going to do. And I wonder if this is going to cause her to reevaluate her faith, mm, not in God good. necessarily, but in the practices of the church, like this baptism that was supposed to wash him clean. Yeah, that's good. Let's let's talk about another okay. goat man. I mean, there's this one biblical reference in the goat man um, episode where, you know, it's three... 314 on the clock it's not quite 316 
when he gets up to to walk out, but mighty close, mighty close. Yeah. He's and the goat man picks him up and they drive around and they either take or steal some goats. We don't know. Yeah. Uh he they deliver well, a first goat. off, Tony, real quick. I mean, he has he has walked to Hannah's house. Oh my gosh, how creepy is that? And is my peering, blood pressure went straight up. He's peering through the window. Her mother is pacing the house. Just comp- still completely. It looks wrecked. like in Hannah's old bedroom. That's right. That's right. Because you see her letter. Like nothing has changed, right? She's still got right. her name spelled out on the wall. And then, of course, from there, you know, he's walking away from there, which is, there's not much else to say other than that. That kind of opens a question like, what's he doing um, walking by there? Is he feeling guilty? Does he miss her? You know, that's like dumbest thing he could possibly little... do if he's trying to prove his innocence is go to yeah. Hannah's house. But just a little seed, you know, for, for yeah uh, to to consider later. But yeah, and then obviously on walking home, uh, the goat man, played by the fabulous W. Earl Brown, shows up and picks him up, and and as you said, they go they go get some goats. They go get some goats, and they go out to this pasture. Okay, one thing is Daniel makes this allusion to a G, a, one of Jesus' miracles when he asks. The stranger in in the um, the the credits, it doesn't call him the goat man. It calls him the stranger. The stranger, which makes you again wonder if this is a dream sequence or if this actually happened. The fact that this. But what's guy's he un- ask him? What's he ask him? He says, "What are you going to do with these goats? Are you going to send them off a cliff?" And the guy said, <laughs> "The stranger says, what do you mean?'" He says, like, like the swine, which he's referring to a story in which uh, Jesus confronts a demoniac who's chained up outside the city in a cemetery. He casts the, how, how many demons does this guy have? Jesus asks, or, or who, what's your name, I guess? And, and the, the demon replies, I am legion. In other words, I'm 10,000 demons inside of this guy. Um, You know, and Jesus casts the demons into a herd of swine who then run off a cliff cliff in a crazed, demonic type of way. Daniel says this to the stranger, are you going to send them off a cliff like like the swine? And the stranger's response is, you read too much. Yeah. (laughs) And then he pulls away. (laughs) I love that. I love that. But dude. There's another biblical illusion. Wait, can we get, can I ask you one question? What are they doing with that goat? They're eating the goat or sacrificing it. Do you know he took it to a party? He took it inside. You, it does seem like it's a party and they, and, and he says, um, people start cheering when the goat comes in. Yeah. And he says like duck down. Sometimes they look outside to see if there's anyone else in the car. I want to see, see you with me. So, you know, it's kind of now weird, it's right? got to be four, you only know, four, in the south, four or five in the morning. Yeah. Do you think it's some like occult, uh, weird sacrifice thing? That may be a, that may be a circle that's never closed for us, but that's, you're yeah, right. That's, Why would he be delivering a goat to a party at four in the morning? You know what I'm saying? Weird. Just a little weird. Yeah. Just a Southern quirk there. But back to they your, go out back to, to your a other pasture. Reference. They go out yep. to a pasture. They see daybreak. a weird statue yep. of a kind of a weird goat person. And then what do they do, man? Start wrestling. They, they wrestle. 
So good. And it is, it, I mean, there is one. It's charged, right? It's not only charged, it's Jacob wrestling the angel. Yeah, of course. And the but angel, it's just the energy in that scene. I know, but this is what I'm saying. I think that's right. Like he, Jacob wrestles the angel. The angel pins. Uh, the angel pins Jacob to the ground. Could defeat him. Doesn't he? Lets him up. Although he dislocates right? Jacob's hip, and he Jacob and he gives Jacob a new name of Israel, and Jacob then limps the rest of his life as a scar from his wrestling match with, let's be honest, a stranger. Yep. We don't know who Jacob is wrestling with in that Old Testament scene. Is it some, some say it's an angel. Some say it's the Lord. Some, you know, Christians say, oh, that was like an early version of Jesus. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a, it's a weird stranger. Uh, in the, and it's, yeah, and it it's also not, takes place I in the middle of the night. To, it's, I think it's safe to say that it's a stranger because how does, how does God often appear throughout the Old Testament, right? Right, how does, right. It's exactly. all, often as a, as a stranger, right, as a traveler. So Daniel, you know, lands a, an elbow to the, to the goat man's face, but ultimately is pinned by the goat man, and the goat man lifts his fist like, yeah. like he's about to kill him, like he's about to smash him in the face. So again, there's another little biblical illusion of it's uh, Abra- Abram, raising the knife to slaughter his son Isaac, and then his hand is stayed by an angel, and they find, what do they find? A goat. I think if I remember right, that when Daniel gets up, he's limping a little bit, and then they're back in the truck, and the goat man says, you know, Daniel's, I don't know, feeling his head, and the goat man says, you know, did I, did I leave a mark or something? Did I? And Daniel says, yeah. Yeah, I think you he know, did, and he starts you, laughing think, again, right? Right. So I'm like, oh my gosh. These well, Tony, guys, I, just think, I, I just think, let me just say, I think Graham and Michael last week were a little coy in, I kept trying to press them on their biblical literacy, which is very deep, and they yeah. were kind of, they, they were a little coy about it, but I mean, this well, episode just shows in spades that these guys yeah. are tying in biblical illusions. Well, and as they were so humble too, and their in their conversations consistently referring to Ray McKinnon's work with uh, crafting the the show Bible and just the conversations among all the writers. I mean, again, a very literate, biblically literate room, mm-hmm. clearly. But and just just something so authentic to the setting, right? It's whether it's commented on directly. Um, like, are you going to run them off a cliff, or if it's just uh, an image of something that that a sequence, a fight scene that kind of calls our mind, you know, back to scripture? It's just it, the way it's just kind of bathed, uh, baked in, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so authentic to the setting, and you know, I, not to kind of belabor a point here on the wrestling and the fight, but the. This episode, the flashbacks to Daniel's time in prison are incredibly violent. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah. In the first scene, where you see the man smashing his face on the, the window, the yeah. glass of his door, mm-hmm. which is, it, it's, I almost had to close my eyes. You know, it's it's so hard to watch. There's yeah. a scene in which Daniel, we're not quite sure what happens, but he's being he's uh, dragged assaulted. away from a scene. Yeah. He's got he's bleeding, and the guy who his 
is kind of his, his next tormentor. Door, his next Satan. Tor- yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. His is Satan. laughing and, and being pressed yeah. against the wall by some guards. So, you know, that the, those that violent imagery of this of the biblical narratives that we are kind of called to mind is paralleled by that that real world violence that so often happens in in that community. Yeah, it, it's it's terrifying to watch both those scenes. And, and it's I thought it was an interesting, creative choice to show Daniel looks like maybe he's been stabbed in the leg. Something. And with yeah. with absolutely no context, it's out of the blue. It's like Daniel's having a a, a god awful flashback. But you yeah. do wonder about all, all sorts of log- logistical things come up for me. Like you know, these guys are on death row. First of all, why are they ever in the same hallway at the same time? I didn't think that would ever happen. Secondly, how could you know they're given nothing in their in their cells? How could a guy possibly fashion some kind of a, a weapon? You know, maybe they'll circle back again and answer these things, or maybe we'll just be left with this terrifying, you know, three-second image of Daniel being assaulted and bleeding in the hallway of the prison. But then there's another scene in the prison, too, that, you know, is this very beautiful but also not quite um, lucid scene where Daniel's in the cell with Kerwin, the, the African-American guy in the, in the cell next to him. And Kerwin says, it's weird, isn't it? Well, what is, Daniel says. And Kerwin says, I know exactly when I'm going to die. Daniel says, that's very sad, Kerwin. And Kerwin says, it has its pluses. You can grieve your own death. Ugh. And then Daniel puts his arm around Kerwin in what surely is some kind of a dream or hallucination, because of course Kerwin was never in Daniel's cell. What we don't know, for all we know, at the point of that memory, maybe Daniel's or maybe Kerwin's already been executed, yeah, and he's continuing know. to live on in Daniel's mind. But yeah, the everything about this episode, Ryan, is a bit otherworldly toying with whether this stuff is actually happening or not. There are certain things we know couldn't happen, like Kerwin yeah. being in Daniel's cell, but did the goat man really happen or, or you know, was, or was Daniel wrestling with himself in, in a dream? Yeah. Well, it's in next week's episode, the finale of the first season is called Jacob's Ladder. Yep. So we're, we've got even more work to do there in terms of, some of the theological or scriptural elements to unpack. What, what do you make of, before we go, what do you make of Teddy going and, t- I mean, we, we find out from earlier in the episode that Daniel's family is not a religious family. Mm-hmm. What do you make of it when Teddy Jr. goes to yeah. the house and tells Janet and Amantha that, Daniel is going to get baptized. He's going to get saved, you know. Yeah. And then and he, um, Amantha yeah, goes if, and witnesses it. Yep. I wonder if it's not just an attempt on his part to kind of drive a wedge between Amantha um, yeah. and Daniel, right? That to kind of isolate Daniel from the group, so to speak, and to just kind of get a dig in Amantha. It is 
clear that they can't stand each other. So, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you know to to jump ahead to the very end, you've already alluded to it, but Daniel and Ted Jr. have a confrontation late at night. Daniel comes back to the tire store late at night. So we this kind of is a, like about a twenty four hour episode, it seems. Because it's well, starts they do each episode a day, right? Right, yeah. And this is the sixth day since Daniel's been released. It starts at three fourteen a.m. with him staring at his uh, clock radio, and yep. it ends sometime after dark. Teddy Jr. is closing up the store for the night. He goes out to unplug the dancing man, who is, you know, obviously kind of a crucifix type. Another great, another great delivery. Too. Another, oh, let him dance, Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, you know, referred to by the the stranger, the goat man, because, you know, he says when they, when they see the man, they pull up to the red man and uh, the stranger says to him, this is your trip. You're about to pull a 360. So he's basically yep. brought him full circle back to where he was before. And... Now we see him again late the next night, sitting out in front watching the, the dancing man. He goes inside where he and Ted Jr. have a very tense conversation. Ted Jr. basically says, stay away from my wife or I'll kill you or, and stay away from me too while you're at it. And yep. Daniel walks away. And then the next thing we know, he's got the, the old sleeper hold on Ted Jr. And the episode yep. ends. Yep. It's intense, it so, man. Tony, it was so hard not to, uh, especially via Netflix, just dive right into that next episode. I know, I know. I wanted to. I wanted to. It's very, yeah. it's actually hard to watch this, watch this uh, show one episode. We're being good. Week. We're being yeah. good. I hope. Yeah. We hope all of you are out there too. And well, uh, I'll be interested to see how big of a break it is next week. It's it's what I'll be looking for, and I'll be looking for more of these biblical allusions because, as you've already said, even the even the episode title for episode six is a biblical allusion with Jacob's ladder. Yep. Well, thanks everybody for listening to Killer Serials. We would love for you to uh, subscribe, like, subscribe, share, rate, review, share. Let us know what you think. Uh, be in touch with us on the social medias. Keep on watching Rectify with us. We'll be back next week with Season 1, Episode 6. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next week.